You ever wonder how some new hires hit the ground running immediately while other ones really struggle to find their footing? In this episode, we're going to uncover our secrets to finding exactly who you need in any role and how to get them driving real value in their first week on the team. I'm Johnny Page. I'm Matt Verlech. And this is the South County Podcast. All right, Johnny Page, what's up, man? How we doing? Doing fantastic, dude. I'm excited to be here. Always a good day when I see that we're recording a podcast on the calendar. Like I get to hang out with my buddy, Matt, and talk shop. Um, They call this work. (laughs) Yeah, right. Allegedly. Dude, I'm stoked about what we're talking about today because... So like for those of you guys listening, we don't really like super pre-plan the topics, right? We literally get on to record and we have like a list of four or five things and we just pick it. And so the, the advantage is it lets us just go with recency a little bit. And so like this morning before I started work, I was reflecting on just some of the conversations lately that Johnny, that you and I have been having. And I realized something that I think is kind of a universal truth about at least above a million in revenue for a SaaS company. I think there's two of them, right? That like every problem is a people problem and every solution is a people solution, right? And like that people could be you, could be me, right? Like you might be the problem or the solution, but it's the right lens to look at things through is, you know, like everyone says who, not how, but I think there's some real wisdom in that. And so one of the topics that we plucked off the shelf that I'm going to riff on for a minute is just to use your phrase, like how do you make a new hire load bearing, right? How do they go from zero to zero as quickly as possible? And so I think like it's always fun to start off with how did we get here via times we did this wrong. So I don't know if you got one in your mind. You want to set the table and tell us a scary story. But let's go there first, man. Yeah, you know, dude, when I first started hiring, it was as a very new leader, I felt this obligation to serve them. Like I really had this ambition of servant leadership. And, you know, I had this these expectations or or limiting beliefs around how long it would take them to contribute. And so I called it like I was in a push training relationship versus the pull one. So I was yeah. pushing to them all the context that I thought they needed. And I gave them 30, 60, 90 days to like, you know, really come on and get up to speed. I just I had way too much slack to really get the most out of the hires. And it definitely slowed down the growth in the in the companies that I was working in. And just over time, I started asking myself and, and exploring how do I get someone contributing faster and faster? To the point now, I've made hundreds of hires and I think I've got it down to a point where I we can get someone load-bearing in the first week. When you make the right hire, and you hire the right way, like the, the whole hiring process is, is, is that onboarding starts from the first interview, right? And if we, if we hire really well, they can come in and they hit the ground running. And every t- chance to make a new hire is a chance for the organization to, to go forward and to really make a, a new step change. And so I think this is something like if you are a founder, it'd be like time spent thinking about how we hire and how you select the right people is, is time well spent. You said something that resonates with me because it's actually words verbatim that I used when I was lieutenant in the fire department and it was push versus pull, right? Like when I first became a fire officer, you know, each, we call them companies in the fire department, usually groups of four or five people, right? Like each company sometimes has a different vibe, right? And there were, there were crews that I worked with that I was in charge of where like, if you stepped off the fire truck and blinked, they were gone. They all knew their jobs. Like if if you stopped because your like shoelace was untied, you'd be by yourself, right? And then there's there's other crews where you know they might step off the fire truck and just everyone's looking at you like, hey boss, what do you want to do now? 
And I always used to call them like a pull crew versus a push crew where I'd rather have a crew that I had to pull back on them a little bit and just be like, okay, yeah. just dial it back from a 10 to an eight before you, you know, go get hurt or something rather than a crew that I had to push to go do everything, take the hose, open the door, bring it up here, go up the stairs, make a right, then a left. You know, it's just, it's too much. People should be able to, to know what the expectations are. It's, it's a beautiful parallel of what we're probably getting ready to talk about because yeah. what lets a crew be the kind of crew where if you set your glove on the ground, you look up, everyone's gone. It's you do the work before you're in front of the house that's on fire, right? They know what yeah. their job is. They know where they're sitting, what their job is. They've got some decisions that they've thought through already and they know I can do A, B, C, or D. And they know that I expect them to make that decision on their own. And man, like everything I just rattled off, when I cross-reference that to how we lead in our company, it's apples to apples, the same thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I just had a conversation this morning, man, that like made me stop and think about just how far I'd come in the, in the process of hiring someone. So we're, we're about 14 days into hiring a director. So this is a senior leader in our organization. And I started off our one-on-one. I said, hey, what's different or what are you noticing now that you're on the inside as a person is like known about our organization for a long time, had ambitions of working here, is finally now on the inside of the organization. I said, hey, like, what are you noticing? And she said, I thought it was going to be fast paced, but it's much faster paced than I thought. The culture is really strong and I feel like I'm the right person in the right role. Like I'm doing, I'm set up to do my best work. And so I think that that's what you can aspire to. That's what it should feel like when we put the right person in. So Matt, you and I tag team, you run the ops side. I run the revenue side. We do a lot of hiring together and yeah. why don't we why don't we talk through what we feel like we both learned a lot of these lessons the hard way and, and hard fought principles that guide our hard, uh, hiring strategies now like why don't we talk about like what is what's unique about our hiring process that listeners can take and just pull right off the shelf and implement that gets that onboarding starting earlier and yeah. it helps the, the ambition is what we're after we want you to leave this episode knowing how to make an employee load bearing in their first week, meaning they're contributing value that we're not out of you know, spending weeks on weeks training until they like have some sort of impact on the organization. No, we want impact in week one starts in hiring. Matt, what do we do to, to make that true? Yeah, I want if you're listening to this and you hire people just like put yourself in this situation that I'm getting ready to describe, right? You've got someone on your team, it could be a salesperson or an accountant or a marketer or whoever, right? And they step off for whatever reason, they go somewhere else. And you take the same job description that you used to hire them two years ago and you open it up and you copy in and you paste it into LinkedIn or Indeed or whatever. And it's like, oh, well, I needed X. So I'm going to go take my job description for X and I'm going to go hire another X, right? Like I've done it almost, right? We've probably <laughs> all done it. And here's the thing is when you do that, you are fighting yesterday's battle because if your company is growing in any way, shape, or form, even within the confines of a role, any well-defined role, a sales development rep, sales account executive, doesn't matter. The needs of who you are today is different than six months or 12 months or 24 months ago. And so the thing like what I talked about with the fire department example of like what lets people go fast is knowing what they need to do ahead of time. The first thing we need to do is literally figure out who we need to hire. And that's not a job title. It's a person, a human with characteristics and a set of skills who's capable of achieving certain outcomes. And within a role, they change. So the way that we do this, I got this from Max Hansen from Y Scouts, which is like a, one of the best executive search firms in the world. He published this in a book called Hiring on Purpose. So if you want to read a great book on this, read that. Max is amazing. 
but it's called a role vision survey. And so anytime we hire a role, we will do a survey for whoever's going to be supervising the role, a couple of their peers. And if it's a leadership role, people who would be reporting up to this person and they fill it out. And it has questions like, what are the top three outcomes? And more on the outcomes later. What are the top three outcomes that this person needs to achieve? What does success in those three outcomes look like? How long should it take them to achieve it? What are the required like skills and abilities? Like if this person was going to come on, they're a 10 out of 10. What do you want them to know how to do? What companies might this person be working at right now? If it, the job wasn't titled what it's titled, what could it be titled instead? That helps you open your mind a little bit. And my favorite question, it's just this open-ended question at the end that says, what are you really looking for in this role? And like the responses you get to that question are gold. And so I think the first thing is just not taking a, a stale job description off the shelf and just firing it back out to the universe. Because like best case scenario, you're going to get whatever you got last time, but you're not evolving with the company, which hopefully is yeah. evolving. So you really want to take a good look at this. Let me pause there because you've run a few of these that we've facilitated. So anything to like add or contribute to that part? No, I mean, it's every time someone steps off the team, it's a chance to recalibrate the role, like for whatever reason, yeah. we either, and especially for opening the new role, we want to make sure that we're all in alignment. So what, what you just walked through is this process for like crowdsourcing the expectations for this role, catching any misalignments, because dang, it's expensive. If one person thinks we're getting X out of a hire, another person thinks we're getting Y, hiring someone puts is not only not great for the organization, but it's terrible for the person coming in, like clear alignment around the organization of like what we're looking for in this role is imperative to them coming on and, and adding value early on. So yeah, I mean, the, the role vision survey is super important. Out of that comes the job description that's now yep. being calibrated based on everyone's input. Yeah. And so from there, the rest of the hiring process, the stuff that everyone thinks is table stakes, like interviews, et cetera, like the interviews and the test project, which I'll talk about in a sec, everything we do there is in support of the outcomes that we articulated in the role vision survey, right? So like the role vision survey is essentially the goalpost and we want to make sure that we're, we're playing the right sport. And then everything else is evaluating the candidate's ability to fulfill what was in the role vision survey. So yeah. like when it comes to interviewing in particular, I coach people a lot on interviewing for depth, right? It's really easy to just be like, tell me about a, your biggest accomplishment. And it's like this boilerplate stuff. But it's funny, I just wrote about this a little while ago. Like, ask follow-up questions. It's not, mm -hmm. you're not doing anything wrong by going deep because man, I'll tell you, especially as your company grows and especially as you're hiring leaders, you need to be able to decipher like what outcomes did they achieve like with their hands and with their brains versus yeah. like what outcomes were achieved by a team that they happened to be a part of, but didn't necessarily like materially drive forward. And the, yeah. the way you do that is by asking the details because, you know, the A players will remember the details. They'll remember the uplift in conversions or the decrease in costs or the number of people hired or the features shipped or whatever. Like they'll remember when you say, what was your biggest challenge in accomplishing that? They'll be able to tell you a real challenge, not like, oh, I'm a perfectionist. So it's really like, that's what everyone says. Let me break, right? It's like the real, that's what you're looking for. And so I coach people on inter interviewing for depth, ask three, four follow-up questions about a specific outcome, because I would rather go all the way in on one or two things than tick the box on like nine different things on the resume. And I still yeah. don't have any idea if they're legit or not. So like that. I call it, you get them to describe the promised land. I'm hiring yeah. someone who's been where we want to go. This is where we want to go. Here are the success outcomes. That's what the job description is going to show. You need to demonstrate to me that you've been there. Describe it in detail. 
I want to know what the Giants look like. <laughs> and if yeah. you can't explain what it's like, all the, you know, the failed attempts you you had to solve that problem and then what you landed on that led to success, like you haven't wrestled with enough challenges for me to be confident you'll be able to get us there again. So, dude, I love it. It is, it's, it's once you start interviewing this way, you will find it hard to believe that you ever hired and made a successful hire without running this process. Dude, totally. And like, again, to do the whole, hey, if you're listening, close your eyes and envision this, right? Like if you've ever done, and I have, if you've ever done a casual interview, right? Where like someone submits their resume, you look at it, you're like, okay, cool. You have done similar jobs. Then you talk to them and they're like, man, they seem really cool. I think they'd be great. And then you hire them. If that worked, it was because of nothing other than luck. Believe me, because I've done it and it's worked for me a lot, but it's luck. And like, yes, the gut instinct is part of it, et cetera. I'm not saying like, whatever, don't fully discount your gut. You should always listen to it, but you should couple that with a more quantitative and calculated way to actually vet your applicants because you need both sides to it. Yeah. To, to call something out here, Matt, like we're talking about some of the more skills focused part of the hiring process, right? Like yeah. there's, there, but there is a part of this and in, in where some of, of luck will work is if you are, if you clearly articulated your values, like the stronger your employer brand is, the more you know what you stand for and the more you communicate that externally, the more your tribe will find you. So like yeah. you do want to be intentional about here are, are the attitudes or the values that we hire for, communicate them externally, the right people will find you. So you, even if you just do that to start, like you're, you're working with a more qualified pool. And then yeah. what we're talking about is this skills focus. Like we want people who have been where we want to go. It's the fastest way. Like I say all the time, like we don't home grow talent. Do people grow on our team? A hundred percent. They will grow professionally more than any other place that they'll ever work. But I don't make you into the thing that I need. You come in ready made to to deliver the outcome. That's what we're hiring for. That's why we this the shift from a job description and skills that we need into outcomes we're looking for you to deliver. Yeah. And, and Johnny, it's important we address the time domain component of that, right? Like what the way we do it is we tend to hire someone who we know is a lights out fit for what we'll need 18 months into the future. And so the reason that it's 18 months into the future is because like if you try to hire who you'll need in five years, like it sounds neat until you yeah. try to actually do it, the, the skills and abilities and habits and experience of that person are going to be so far removed from where you're at that it's a lot more likely to have a mishire. Like you yeah. can't be a million dollar ARR company and pluck someone from a hundred million dollar ARR company and they're going to show up and be like, where is everyone? And be like, nah, dude, it's you. Yeah. It's not a fit now. So we hire for someone who can nail it for the next 18 months. And that's not to say we want to turn people over. I never want to turn people over. But that runway is enough where then they get to level themselves up to keep unlocking like the next 18 months, the next 18 months, the next 18 months. And it usually... Yeah works out pretty well. So I think the last thing on the pre-hire is the test project, right? So like we, with 100% consistency, always do a test project first. It's fully paid, but like it's that old saying, you can't work with you till I work with you. And, yeah. and I'll tell you, admittedly, when I first learned about this as a SAS Academy co- like coaching client, I was like, I don't really know if we need to do a test project. Like my gut's pretty good. I still remember the first time I did a test project for someone who interviewed at what I would have considered a nine out of 10. And wow, I would have hired them on the spot. Wow, is all I have to say. Like the test project was mind bogglingly off the mark. And it probably saved me 90 days of pain, 
just by being able to realize avoided. that like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like just cause you can hang in the interview doesn't mean that you can like follow the instructions. And, and we <laughs> always bring three people through the test projects because if it's only a sample size of one, like maybe you screwed up the test project, maybe you gave bad instructions, like that kind of thing. Right. So the other two people nailed it. So it wasn't a test project problem, but it's just like, don't skip that part that whatever yeah. you're going to spend to pay a few candidates to do a test project. Believe me, it's, <laughs> It is a fraction of a percentage point. It's a freaking rounding error against the cost of a bad hire. So just run yeah. a few people through a test project and see what they got first. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, this seems like a lot of work to make a hire, you <laughs> are right. 100%. <laughs> it is. But it's way more work. And God, it's a much bigger pain in the ass to make the wrong hire. You do. It is slowing down to speed up. This is why we can say, you can see why the hiring process sets us up to have a hire be load bearing in week one because you've gone through the process like you know this is the right person they've been there they've seen the they've seen the challenge before and they can come in and get straight to work if you have to make the talent if you have if you're loose on your hiring process then it's no wonder that you've got to spend so much time training you're literally trying to make the person into the thing that to deliver the outcome flipping it's on its head you spend a lot more time hiring but you hire a lot less frequently. Matt, I think we've installed this, the number of failed hires that we have, like that don't stick on past 90 days, either from performance or for leaving. It's like, you know, it's less than 5% of people that come in and don't stick around. Like we're just so diligent yeah. on the way in that we don't have to go back around and, and reopen jobs because we made a bad decision. Yeah. And I'll challenge one thing. Like it doesn't, it does feel like a lot of work. I agree, but it doesn't mean that it's slow, right? Like we're averaging no, yeah. like a 35 day from the hiring cycle from the time that we post to the time that an offer is accepted. So like, it's not too much to ask to plan your hires a month out. Like sometimes it'll feel like an emergency. And when we talk about things we've done wrong, John, you and I have both done this. And I think we've broken yeah. this habit. Like when you have that urgency, that's burning a hole in your brain, that vacant role. And you're like, you get tempted. It's like the angel and the devil on your shoulder, right? And the, the devil's saying, a B player in this role will make this problem go away right now. Just put the fire out. It's going to be okay. Like smack that thing and throw it in the trash. Don't listen to it. Like the extra two, three weeks it takes to get the right person in the role. Man, it's literally always worth it. So just Dude, take a minute, get it right. The now. other one that gets you is like, one, we try to find the, I guess, the pitfalls are, one, you rush the hiring process and you lower the bar. The second yeah. one is, you have someone approach you that seems like a great fit and you decide not to run the hiring process. Um, and this is even for like moving people laterally inside the organization. Like if someone's going to move from one spot to another, we've cut those corners a couple of times by saying, hey, a great person comes into our world. Like someone within our network became available. They reached out to us and said, hey, here's the work that I do. We're like, yes, we could use that. And we made the hire without going through the full hiring process that doesn't work. Got bit by that like multiple times. We've yeah. always looked back and said, I wish we would have ran the full hiring process. And then second, we've had people move from one spot in the organization to another. And again, look back and say, we wish we would have ran the full process. And then we have, if that person earns a role, dude, they know they beat out the market. Like they, they, they yeah. have a lot more confidence stepping into that. It's actually better for everyone involved to be a little bit slower when you're selecting a role, just go through the full role visioning process. Like you can feel tempting to cut the corner but just nine times out of ten it doesn't work. in fact I, Matt, I don't know that it's ever worked out we've tried it multiple times like we, this is a lesson we had to learn the hard way you know multiple times like well maybe we maybe we can cut this corner and, and try and get key with it it's always never worked always <laughs> never worked i love it man so let's switch gears then so let's say I mean, there's a solid deep dive, right? So review that part. Role vision survey for sure. Talk to the people above 
beside and below whoever you're hiring. Make sure you're hiring 18 months into the future and use that to craft the job description. Interview for depth, like don't skim over the interview, don't check the box, ask some follow-up questions, get into the specifics, and then hire through a test project, pay people, like get them actually doing a simulation of the type of work that you're hiring them to do that'll build you confidence that they can hit the outcome. So let's say you do all of those things and you got someone, they're like, all right, I'm giving notice at my job. Two weeks, I'm stepping on the team. You're fired up. They're a killer. I want to switch gears, Johnny. And like you have developed what I consider a pretty innovative process to getting this person on ramp. So, you know, let's let's role play this. If you're listening, you're two weeks out from this person's first day. Like, what's the plan that you're building? What are you putting into place? And what are you going to coach them on when they first show up? Yeah, so I I put on this lens as soon as I know that I've opened up the role, I start keep I start noticing all of the context that I think that they'll need when they're onboarded, and I start making a file. So I'll, we use Asana, I'll create an Asana board, and I start just dropping like, oh, that's a project this person will know about, or that's a decision this person needs to know about, or that's you know a training, etc. Meetings that needed to be added to. So I give myself as soon as the role is open, I start thirty days. I go and I say, hey, if this person was on the team. Would they be handling this? What would they need to know? And I started just populating this like this parking lot of stuff that I know that they'll need. As we get closer to knowing when their onboarding date is, the we we've I'll build out a little bit more of a training process for them of stuff that I know. Like I know where the bodies are buried, right? If I'm the hiring manager for this role, like I know what they need to know. Like they're just gonna have to get up to speed on certain things. So I start putting it into this Asana board. But I don't used to spend a lot of time sequencing out like what do they do on day one, what do they do on day two, et cetera. And instead what I've done is I move up the day that they're hired. First day, it's all about introductions, getting the tech set up. And we were hiring primarily in a remote first environment. So very rarely are we in person. You know, that's for the majority of our conversations just going to be geared towards that just for, for context if you're listening. So remote environment, day one is like tech set up, get some introductions. The morning of day two, I hold a 90-minute objectives call. And in that call, I'm going to share all of the context on the objectives that they've been hired. Like this is what the first 90 days is going to be. Your success and failure of the first 90 days is going to be based on this criteria. I just go deep on it. And I tell them, this is going to be the reason I start your onboarding with the objectives is there's a whole bunch of good stuff to go through in this onboarding project. There's lots of good ways to spend your time, but you are hired to prioritize and to know what is needed to get these outcomes. So if there's anything in this file that feels like it's a waste of time, feel free to chuck it out the window. You own getting to this outcome. I expect for you to pull from me the context it needed. That's where I've flipped on its head. Like if I create a training file and say, go through all these things, that's me pushing to them the context that I think they need to make good decisions. I want it reversed. I do want to like have a file working for them. I know I know some of the stuff they're going to need. I don't want to be completely lazy and put it all on the all on the hire, but I need them to own pulling from me the context they need, meeting with the team members that they need. And they met the final piece that I need to make sure that like the training is sinking in or that their onboarding is productive as I ask them to keep a training file. So I say fire up a Google Doc slap Taylor's training file right across the top of it. And then every day as you're going through this Asana board, you're meeting with new team members, you're starting to wrap your arms around the project. I want you to keep just a log of what you're learning. If you watch one of our trainings, you you meet with a team member, just take your notes in there and then leave all of your questions in the training file. Mm -hmm. I'll come in there. You and I'll sit down three times a week. That will be 
for 30 minutes. It will be your time. You'll run the call and walk me through your training file, any questions that you had. But this is a spot for me to see what's really learning in, like, or what's really sinking in. I used to hire all in person. And when I would train them, I could sit right next to them and I could hear all the conversations they were having. I could see what they were doing. So it was easier for me to see what they were actually learning. The training file is a virtual version of that. So I say, hey, for the first 30 days, anything you do, log it in the in the training file. All your questions get flagged in there. And then when you and I get together, we'll jam through it. So man, that's that's the recipe. It's a sauna file with all, you know, where the body's buried, all the context they need, an objectives call on day two and a training file. And they hit the ground running. So what's the, what's the like coolest insight or most surprising thing that someone has brought back to you during a walkthrough on the training file? Do you got any cool examples of just like, could be a question that really impressed you or I'm just curious. You know, I think it, the cool thing about it is it's, you see the learning in progress. The, you'll see someone arrive, hey, you know, I, I watched this trainer, had a conversation. I'm just noticing these things or was, this thing stuck out to me. And so you just start to see some of the context taking shape for them. So it's not, you know, I, I can't recall any one thing, but it's helpful to see the learning in progress yeah. and see what's what's coming together. So yeah, man, I don't know if I have any, I've had, I've had in team members in their first 30 days put together like 75 page training files. Like I, if, for what it's worth, dude, I, I tell them like, I don't read all of it. Like I'm going to read the yeah. stuff you highlight. And honestly, man, it just gives me confidence that it's sinking in. Like if I have a training file where like a week has gone by and they're two pages in, just got a couple bullet points, like this person's not a great note taker. They don't like using Google Docs or like there's just not stuff setting in. And yeah. I just get a good sense for how quickly are they attacking those outcomes by looking at the training file. I love it, man. I think if there's one thing that you guys listening should take away from this, it's that hiring is not something to be taken lightly. You know, like in the early days of my first company, I didn't quite get this, right? I would just like see an opening, see I could use someone to like check this box and do this job. And man, like I got so lucky, like the people I hired were incredible, but it wasn't the output of a system, right? And the the bigger you get, you know, you go from 1 million to 5 million to 10 million and onward, it's like every single problem you have can be solved by doing this right. But the stakes are bigger at every stage of company, right? You might be hiring someone to do a few sales calls when you're a new company. And at our stage or, or larger, you're hiring directors or VPs to take an entire function or own a P&L on a huge revenue line item. There's the stakes get bigger and bigger and bigger the larger you get as a company. So it's crazy important to put the time into building this muscle of both the setup, like the pre-hire, the role vision, the building interview skills on your leadership team you know, how to create a test project and building it into your process and not letting it slow you down for everything, Johnny, that you went through, man, on, you know, the, like the training file approaches, like that's innovation, guys. I've never heard that been, being done anywhere else other than here from Johnny is having the, the new hire put together their own training file and read it back and kind of flip the order of operations. So just grab these things, pre-hire, post-hire, and just put them as like, goals of things you want to build in over time as your company matures, your processes need to mature along with it because you can definitely get caught under investing in people. And believe me, like that will rear its ugly head at some point. It would be much better for you to be ahead of it than wait till it throat punches you and you realize that that you grossly miscalculated how much emphasis to put on this. Yeah, totally. You know, Matt, there's a couple of things I wanted to share. The other piece in making someone load bearing in week one is that they become responsible right away. Like they, they don't. So I'll give you an example. We hired someone to take over email marketing and from day one, they own every email that goes out. Now, like I understand some context 
to that, right? Like I know they didn't send the email. There's lots of automated emails in there, but if they are not responsible for email on day one, then they don't attack it with the same intensity that that they would if they are responsible. And so if I'm hiring a director, they start owning all of the meetings, they own all of their direct reports on day one, like they, they, are, they become accountable right away. That helps support that pull. Hey, if I own emails, like what tool is sending our emails? Where are all the emails being sent from? You see how like they start asking a lot more questions. If I hired the person that's like ran a great email marketing system before, they know all the right questions to ask and, and how to quickly own those outcomes and that responsibility so yeah i mean i think this is it's flipping it it's on its head people are hired to get an outcome not just to 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 check a box and i think we've shared a lot today that can help supercharge a founder's approach to hiring and leading a team i love it man as always if you guys are watching this on youtube or listening on an audio podcast just hit us up with a comment or a question you know anything you want to dive into on hiring we can cover it on a future episode but yeah with that johnny i appreciate you man 